You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where I go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about dungeons. So we talked about dragons the other day, so now we gotta get the other half of the name in. Because it is a hugely important part of the game. So, Nathan, why? Yes. Why do we need dungeons in Dungeons and Dragons? Hmm. Outside of it being the, the namesake of the game, um, actually, on that, let, let's let, let's actually talk about that. Here's why. Uh, why dungeons? So, if we were talk about it entirely mechanically speaking, it's basically what Dungeons and Dragons is supposed to be. You're supposed to be going through dungeons, uh, killing monsters in those dungeons and looting the shit out of the place. So here's why dungeons it, within your world. So here's the thing. Dungeons can be any place where you can um, encounter enemies where, within some place that has some sort of layout or something. So a large sprawling cathedral of some sort, um, a library with endless hallways, all those things that I've said, right, can be considered dungeons if you add that little bit of, I don't know, like, let's say the library has been taken over by um, a bunch of uh, sentient books that are able to cast spells that are written within them, and then you can have that as a dungeon. So that's basically what a dungeon is and why dungeons happen. Yeah, so in summation of that then, the point of a dungeon is to create a mostly linear progression that player characters can take to get experience. It is a basic just line of you can go from room to room, killing bad guys, taking their stuff to get experience for your characters. Because something that a lot of people just don't think about is that a lot of the addition of roleplay being a more central focus to D&D actually did come in rather later. It was originally pretty much hack and slash, and it just grew and evolved over time in a lot of fun ways. But it did start out much more simple in just being kill the thing, take their stuff. 
But another angle that me being the outside in DM that I am just want to put out there is because of the fact that dungeons are such a central part of the game, it is worth thinking about why from the meta perspective. So we put dungeons in games to funnel players from room to room to kill things and take their stuff. But it's worth just thinking, okay, so this exists. Why is it that there is this, you know, cave in the side of a mountain that has, you know, 20 rooms set up in a weird maze with magical traps and, you know, a magic item at the end that has not been unearthed for, you know, 800 years. Just if it's just a thing that is just off the beaten path, like seems to be the case so often when players stumble across it, then what the fuck? That's weird. Like humans don't usually think, okay, when I die, I'm going to create this giant elaborate maze and it will just be, you know, just 50 feet that way. Like, yeah, you're forgetting the Egyptians. That's but the those thing guys were pretty that weird. was the like that I was starting the sentence of before you interrupted me, you rude bastard. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so the closest example from our world is, of course, the pyramids in Egypt. Grumble, grumble, Nathan. Anyway, but even the pyramids are a massive undertaking and a lot of effort to explore them. But in a world of magic, it's different because magical construction, there are a lot of spells that exist. But the question that I'm trying to gear at is more of the why. Why is it that instead of just passing down their wealth to you know their next generation, why do all of these tombs exist out there? Why do you hire magical trap makers and hire all of these people to do all of this? And just from the world perspective, I just think it's worth thinking about. And at least my own personal interpretation that I like thinking is that a lot of the time, powerful individuals get that way through hard work. And I imagine that the individuals, at least in my world, so this is just my world, you can use this or you can just make up your own explanation. But my world is a meritocracy where you have to earn what you get. So wealth is not passed down to the next generation because they didn't earn it. So it's not theirs. So they create these elaborate tombs as a test to basically create a worthy heir. So someone can only get the wealth or magic items that they've accumulated in their lifetime if they prove worthy by solving the puzzles or defeating the creatures that, you know, end up there. And so it is a big deal in my world that everyone of sufficient wealth will want to have something set up. And this also would explain that, oh, they might know I cleared this tomb in my youth. And so I might arrange that when I die, you know, my own remains will get put back in here. So that also would explain then that as people continually just die through history, that they make use of either new tombs built over time or just reusing the old ones, which is why player characters so very rarely run into an empty tomb. 
because for the most part, if PCs find such a place, there's something in it. But if you have a world of adventurers, then in theory, an argument could be made that most of them would have been looted over time because adventurers exist and are out there doing stuff. But if you have it be the kind of world philosophy that no, everyone who has you know sufficient wealth just reuses and builds new ones, then even as you know an adventurer population may go up at some points in history, then there is a logical in-game reason for why these places have stuff. So the other important, well, not the other, but another important thing to think about is when you have all of these dungeons in your world, what is it that you as the DM are trying to do? So Nathan, you want to hop in? So um, as a dungeon master, when I use a dungeon, it's typically for a very clear goal. It's to create a certain space in which the players can fully explore um, that can be fully planned out ahead of time. Hence, of giving a very very small sandbox in which the players are given basically full ability to just do whatever they want within that space and this way you don't have the issue whenever you're in a more a modern D&D setting where you're just hanging around places where you only have a certain set amount of maps that you just throw down for certain situations and you can't really plan stuff like oh there are certain cool features to the landscape that the players can use because that's not really pre-planned in the same way that a dungeon can be. Exactly and it's also important to keep in mind so logic is well known to be something that I arguably think about too much but dungeons is something where it really does work. So dungeons are something that I myself quite enjoy. So it's also worth thinking about of if you do have these just random dungeons that just go into, you know, the side of a mountain or just, you know, below a city, there might be this, you know, large, you know, system of tunnels and such. So think about who put them there, why? And also, as well as that, how dangerous you want a dungeon to be. This is something that is a very difficult topic, in all honesty, for all DMs, really. Because as a DM, do you plan in advance there is this many dungeons in the world in these, you know, 27 places? Probably not. Most people are not me and don't go to that level of crazy. I, I do have an actual map of uh, how many dungeons I have and where they are and how difficult they are and whether they have been raided or are refilled or not. But that's Remember, just me. listeners, Remy <laughs> is an abnormal creature similar to that of a beholder. He's an aberration <laughs> that should not be emulated in any sort of way unless you hey, go hey, insane. Hey, if someone wants to emulate me, that's cool. <laughs> Don't tell them off for that. I mean, I'm not going to recommend you go as far as I tend to, but if someone is out there who is wired similarly to me, then hell yeah, do it. And honestly, tell me about it. I'd like to know that I'm not alone. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I distract myself with that. Um, okay, dungeons. Thinking about how many there are, how big they are, what is in them. So you don't have to be like me and actually make, you know, a DM map of here are all of the things. But it is worth thinking about before your players get to them. Do you want to have dungeons that are have already been emptied? And there are different storylines that a DM can use with such a thing. Is it, you know, oh, you know, you find an inscription on the wall that says, you know, this is the tomb of blah, you know, resting place of whatever thing. And you can just have it be, oh, you get there and you find the thing. Cool. But honestly, that's our arguably less interesting than other things that a DM can do. So a DM could also just have that have them find a tomb and it's just already looted and it's empty and they might have fought through, you know, hordes of goblins or whatever undead may have infested the system. And then they get there and there's nothing. And that's just disappointing to the players. And that, that could be either good setup or bad setup on a DM's part. So I would just caution doing such a thing and to not do it too often. Like, don't give the players expectations of a thing and continually not give them anything. But maybe on the other hand, they find something of, oh, this has been looted before, but someone else already took over the tomb and they actually dropped off something that's better than what we were expecting to find. Or uh, something that was done fantastically on the Dungeons and Randomness podcast by Jason and Massey is there was a taunting note left in a tomb of like, there was this awesome thing here. We took it. Bye. And to create a rivalry with other adventuring groups. And, you know, obviously I joked about the actual note content, but it was beautifully done and it created a really long and interesting rivalry between two adventuring groups. And it was really well done. And honestly, until that point, I'd never seen that done before. And that was brilliant. So thinking about what you what you have in the cave and what the players expect in in a place can be played with by a DM and should be. Because if you have all of these old tombs and they just have the thing that it says that they have, then that's weird. Because unless your group of PCs are like the only adventurers in the world, that's weird. Because in most D&D games, other people out there have experience and levels in various classes. So there should be more people out and about that are or were adventurers. So to just have everything fit expectations should not be done. And is something that unfortunately is something that I really just don't see adequately done often enough. So there's the expectations of what is at the end, but then there's also the expectation of what is actually in the tomb. Because if you have something that is okay, you know, you find the, you know, uh, warning somehow that, ah, yes, this is the tomb of a former necromancer who was eventually brought down, but, you know, the king's men couldn't finish off all of his undead, so they simply locked the tomb away you know, basically not wanting to deal with the many undead left. And then you have a, you know, potential cool story and an explanation. And maybe the, you know, undead necromancer isn't quite as dead as they all thought. Or maybe they did know and that they sealed the tomb just to hide it away. And then you have a potential, you know, uh, diplomatic encounter. If you find like, oh, you know, the king who did that is now elderly and still alive. And you might, you know, have your characters confront him on what was done. And, you know, maybe like, 
like there's angles that can be taken besides just kill things and take their stuff. There are so many things that can be played with in the why and the how of the dungeon. But in addition to all of that, there is the question of balance. So combat balance is something we have talked about quite a bit on this show, but is still, I'll reiterate, really fucking hard because there are two aspects of combat balance, which is the short and the long term, because D&D is designed around a certain number of encounters per day, dwindling at a party's resources as time goes. So it is difficult to perfectly balance an individual encounter and then even farther, a series of encounters, because all it takes is a handful of good or bad dice rolls on either side of the fight to drastically change the situation. So if you're a DM that has specifically planned, this room has seven skeletons, this room has three ghouls, this one has blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, then if your players you know, happen to have a really bad time in the skeleton room, then they might really be in trouble if they keep moving on to other or other more difficult fights. So if you have fight after fight after fight without an opportunity for at least a short rest, then it is very, very easy to misbalance the series of encounters. Because to get a full series of encounters balanced is exponentially harder than just the single individual one. And a lot of the experience encounter calculators that are on, you know, D&D Beyond and other websites are only built around an individual encounter. So trying to balance out that series is dangerous. And a DM always should be very careful in terms of what all of the things are. And to be careful to try to set up opportunities to either let the characters get a short rest maybe in a room where all the doors are still intact. So they might need to just get through one additional fight before they get to a room where they could at least barricade themselves for long enough to get a short rest. Getting a long rest in the dungeon is a lot more debatable. But maybe there are circumstances where it could be done. Maybe the party is strong enough to have a spellcaster that can cast Wall of Stone, and then they just literally barricade themselves completely inside like a little stone hut that gives them enough time to get a long rest. But the point being, series of encounters are really hard. And I am the type of DM who does plan. There's this many things here. There are this many things there. And I'm generally not a big fan of, you know, DM fiat, where a DM will just change their plans on the fly or where they will just have there be like I plan for there to be seven skeletons in the next room. But the party's had a bad time. So instead, you know, maybe there's only three in there now and you make it little easier on the party and that is very much something that a dm has the power to do and honestly is something that i would probably encourage most dms to do even though it isn't my personal style So just I personally would do it more along the lines of encouraging the players and I mean the players themselves as well as the characters. So both in and out of game to try to give your characters and players understanding of the world to let them know 
There will be times where you should run. There will be times where you are not ready for a situation or you are not adequately prepared or you just had bad luck and you should retreat and try again another day. That is something that is incredibly difficult to arrange with your players to just get that understanding between you and them to understand when can you take it and when should they run because there are dangerous things in a D&D world and there are times where PCs should run away so be very very careful once again to make sure your players understand when they are in one of those situations and to also be careful in your design of a dungeon because technically an argument could be made that it would be an interesting trap to just have there be you know a cave-in or a rock wall come down from the ceiling to block off characters escape and from the magical perspective and the trap perspective that's a really easy thing to do but be very very careful of situations where you are locking a player in that is easy to do but not something that i really recommend doing unless you have a particularly powerful party or you have some other escape route that can be so very dangerous so very easily the way i traditionally have done it on the show is in truth, honestly, on on Riftwing, that there's only been one dungeon that like like one proper dungeon, and that was during a the second episode. The rest of it is basically a bunch of disparate encounters, sort of patched together by plot. <laughs> so, like, I would say the way I generally tend to handle uh, dungeons and such is I like um, personally, I, 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 like like I, I would just straight up say I'm not good at it. Um, I generally balance my battles to be, hey, look, I this is hard on the calculator. What if we made it absurd? Okay, sounds good. Let's try this other place. Somehow still survives, uh, mostly. But when, when, when it comes down to it, I, I would say that when I'm doing a dungeon, what I tend to do is I have a series of events. So I have a series of rooms, um, places that I think would be cool and make sense to that place. So like, for example, what is the purpose of the dungeon so on and so forth i create a bunch of rooms decide on the connections decide generally what each room should deliver in terms of monsters i have a general range of monsters that i allow myself to, to throw at the players and once the players arrive in that room i just toss whatever number of monsters i feel are suited towards the situation and how they're doing within that range and that's how i balance my dungeons indeed and there's obviously an infinite number of ways on how you can design in a dungeon you can just have it be where you're literally making everything up as you go along like you don't have any kind of map to know like ah yes there are six rooms going farther through this you know cave system carved out by whatever like you could have that known ahead of time or you could literally just have it be the players are in a hallway and you could just go by descriptive narration you know so that you know the players are the, the pcs are walking down a hallway and they come into a cavern and they see that there are other tunnels carved on the right and le and straight ahead sides of the cavern and so you can just do it by descriptive and not use a map at all unless you actually get into a combat encounter 
where you would need a map. And you, or you could just use a kind of generic map of just, you know, the classic stone map and then just say, you know, you draw on, you know, the classic stone map of, okay, this is how big this tunnel that you're in is, or this is how big this particular chamber is. So you can just make it up as you go along and not worry about the actual layout and figuring out, figure out, you know, oh, what kind of maze is the dungeon? You, you don't need to do all that. You just don't. Absolutely. Highly, highly encouraged for non-me style DMs to just make it up as you go along because most players don't care about the layout. It doesn't matter. So don't make it more difficult for yourself unless it's a thing that you actively enjoy doing and that your players enjoy. And even if it is something that you like, if your players dislike it, then it's worth thinking about not doing it that way to just have it be suited to your players. And if it does make less work for you, then that's not half bad either. Listeners, have you heard of the square, the legendary square? The square with caps. The square. Yeah, with caps. The the square is basically this square, the square map that I always use. It's, it doesn't matter what situation. I tend to use this a lot for situations that I don't plan for, which is a lot since I'm, I do have a life outside of this podcast. But the way that the square works is that it is a single texture, pavement, grass. <laughs> Those are actually the two squares. Oh. Yep, there are two squares. One that just is stone floor and one that is grass. And that's it. And we use those for a majority of the combat encounters on Riftwake because Nathan does a good job at describing the environment. So you don't really need to have adequate maps that actually show the situation. On the other hand, I like excessive detail. So I like to make detailed maps of the places that my characters go. But I do also just have those generic maps. Like I have a generic water, land, rock, wood. So I just have that very small bit of variety because all the time players will do shit that you don't expect them to do. So having generic maps to use helps a lot, in all honesty. (laughs) The square. But besides the idea of having a known layout or making it up as you go along, there are a few other things to consider. So if you do have magic traps in your various dungeons, then how do they get there? You know, do they still work? Something that DMs could have a lot of fun with is just maybe, you know, someone made a flamethrower magic trap that's on the fritz. And so if you have such a thing, then maybe instead of, you know, the pressure plate that it originally was, then maybe it just automatically just goes off on initiative 20 every round. It just every six seconds, fire, fire, or even to make it a little more complicated for you, but also so your players don't necessarily know what's going on. Maybe it just you roll a d6 and it goes off again after that many rounds or it's just every was, two or three yep. i was just thinking right talking about traps and stuff and how it could be on fritz i tell you what would be amazing imagine a dungeon right where you just walk through these fucking empty halls to just walk up to the thing and you know that it should be protected but nothing's happening right you see all these things your rogue does all the checks and it's like there's a trap there but like say but somebody off. hears a click but no no it's mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing where um they grab the thing and nothing happens it, it's the weirdest thing so one one thing that can be talked about is the fact that things just don't work with age but i think it'd be very very funny if 
for example, it could be a thing where, oh, look, um, this is connected. There's some sort of magical bullshit needs to be powered, so on and so forth, right? And um, you guys are like, oh, uh, let's grab the thing and go. And then uh, you, you have one of the characters notice something that um, is interesting and it's like, gets interested by it. But it turns out that that thing was like, oh, it's it's late, uh, late dormant, like the entire place is late dormant because um, the thing just basically ran out of stuff and then they just do the one thing that starts everything back up. It's like, you know that kind of thing where technology doesn't work so you hit it? Um, <laughs> so it's like, okay, I can see the thing. Let's get there. It's like charges in um, and then you're like, okay, make a roll. Oh, you slide and hit into this weird uh this this object is like you feel the ground rumble and then you look outside and then you realize something you know all those traps that um weren't actually working you notice something um all the things that you did activate suddenly activate po- like in post and there's all sorts of weird shit happening Actually, and you had to find yeah. yep. another good way to do that potentially would just be have it be kind of the Indiana Jones style pressure plate where it goes off when you pick up the thing. So picking up the thing could be the trigger itself. So you are everyone is able to just walk up to the thing. But then as soon as someone picks it up, click, 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 click and they just hear clicks echoing. Hey, I do have to say that, that, that would be fucking perfect for something and logical. Like, imagine. No, no, no. It'd be perfect for something like, look, this is the foremost uh, cathedral uh, um, uh, of this powerful god. Look, here's our greatest artifact. It's just sitting there and you're like, <laughs> some what's stupid. Not gonna point at people, but imagine if there was somebody from a party, maybe, um, who just saw it and was like, I'm, I pick it up. Are you sure you did? Yes. You hear this massive <laughs> rebounding <starts> sound <laughs> as everything locks into place. And in fact, <laughs> effectively, you have that moment where you're just standing oh, there shit. in the middle of a room surrounded by guns that kind of moment yeah it's just you have all these gems and receptacles pointed at you all charging up for a blast mm-hmm. like there's so many ways or it could just be there's an ever-burning torch in the room and that if someone you know picks up the torch on their way into the room to be able to see then that could be a trigger to set some stuff off and maybe it even goes away if they put the torch back and then so maybe like there's so many different triggers for traps but another thing that is worth mentioning Speaking of torches, light is something that is not played with adequately in D&D. There are a lot of explicit rules about visibility that, you know, candlelight goes so far, torchlight goes so far, dark vision only goes so far. So if you have, you know, a trap that is more than 60 feet ahead, that has a range of more than 60 feet, then most characters who aren't drow won't be able to see it. So if you just have a dart trap farther than 60 feet ahead that can fire that far, then then that gives you more options for the traps that you're using. So, uh, actually, minor tangent though. Dart traps are the one type of trap that irk me because those should just run out of darts after they're fired. Because unless you do use the you know infinite ammo enchantment, then it'd be kind of funny if the party just walks in and they just see oh, there's a pile of, you know, 127 darts just from everyone else who has come through here and triggered this specific trap. So there could be hints as to the traps if you do have a thing like that. So having light be more of a factor, having just visibility in general be a factor, having range be a factor, having like layout of maybe, you know, there's something around the corner that gets triggered by a thing here, or maybe like, if you have a party walking in a straight line, then maybe the person in front steps on a pressure plate that triggers a trap that hits whoever is in the back. So traps 
are another of those things that I so often rant about, which is creativity. Dungeons are completely open to dungeon master creativity. And you get an immediate contrast of that with your player characters. So it is one of those situations that is more literally an us versus them, where it is the players kind of having a battle of wits with the dungeon master. So anytime that you do have players come up with some clever trick to evade something in a dungeon, let them. A problem that I have is with dungeon masters who are so tied to their story that they force like one way forward. And so if players do come up with something clever, they often somewhat try to punish them for it, for getting around their clever thing. Don't do that. If players come up with something clever, let the players do it and say, well done, because creativity is a thing to be rewarded for all human beings. That is just a trait that doesn't get exercised enough. So let them do clever stuff. Let them. You have, as a DM, all the opportunity to arrange other things. Maybe you just take a note that they did some specific thing, and then you can come up with some way to subvert expectations later. Just take notes and just move on. Don't punish your players unless there's like an honest, explicit reason to. If someone is just breaking the rules, trying to do a thing, then that's different because that's cheating, for lack of a better word. But if they just come up with something clever, like, hey, wait a minute, this door is really strong. Could we just like chop this wooden door off the hinges and hold it in front of us to not worry about the dart trap? That's clever. That is a really good idea. But as a trade-off, if they're holding a door in front of them, then maybe they just don't see the pit trap that's farther ahead. But if they just have something clever like the door, then maybe they even use the door to get over the pit trap, and then they even can lay it across the, or, sorry, yeah, shield from the dart trap, and then maybe they use it like to cover the pit trap. Like If they come up with clever things, let them. Puzzles. Puzzles, puzzles. Oh, fuck. Puzzles are honestly one of the most controversial topics just because a they're really hard to set up from the dungeon master perspective and b there is the incredibly important question of is it more important for the players to decipher the puzzle or for the characters to decipher the puzzle and that is a very important distinction because generally speaking most humans are not going to be as smart as the wizard character they play if you have a wizard with like a 18 intelligence that is smarter than a huge majority of humankind. That is, you know, a super genius, or at least genius. Well, Remy, the way I traditionally have handled instances where a character would know more than a player is that while I'm describing the thing and while they're looking around doing their checks, I slowly feed a little bit of information along with what they're noticing. So it's like, oh, um, you, yeah, yeah, looking at this thing. And suddenly you observe, and then I put in a little bit of information about the thing that brings the player a bit closer. And every single time that they interact with the thing, I give them a bit more in, uh, information. That way, um, if they can't figure it out, I will slowly just give them the information that will eventually just very, very quickly build up to the, oh, this is how the thing works, which that way it creates a much more natural feeling sort of thing where that for to to the people playing there really isn't that sort of interaction where whether it's a character or a player issue because at the end of the day they figure out the thing and yeah or they don't because sometimes there are instances where 
the character doesn't. I don't feel that the player does. And I don't feed them the info that will allow them to figure it out. And I just drop it on them later as an interesting tidbit. Indeed. So having to figure out the balance of that is yet another challenge for the DM is just how much to put on the players, how much to put on the characters is a fine balance. And just keep in mind that if you come up with some oh so clever puzzle that they can't figure out how much hints are acceptable, how much like in in case of emergency, let your players just make skill checks to give them the opportunity to say they figure out that blah 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 if you know you say you let the wizard just make an intelligence check or a history check to get some kind of hint there are many many different paths to play and honestly i don't want to overly talk about puzzles because that is very complicated in its own right but just the heads up that it is something to be cautious and aware of so in summation dungeons provide an opportunity for a DM to create a series of encounters to just show off aspects of the world, whether that is through mechanics or lore or just anything that they want to. It lets them play with things in ways that you can't do with a single encounter and is a somewhat complicated thing, but that can be very much worth it for the DM building it and from the players when they get that rush of satisfaction of solving it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier status though is a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, where we'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as RefWake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now, send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A-N-D, rules, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! Okay, move, move. No time. Gotta go. No time. Nah, I'm just dead. What? <laughs> yeah, that's me. The more I speak, the dumber I sound. Cut. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.